I truly believe that at the base of it, we're still the same. And the reason why I say that is because when we did NFT NYC and we held a whole bunch of meet and greets and talks and everything, and we actually met the community in person, even though we were on Discord with each other 24-7, when we met in person, it was different. It was dope. Like, And the energy, I still believe like the cellular energy transfer of human beings together cannot be replaced on a Discord feed. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing the best conversations we have had with significant builders, experts, and communicators. The people we encounter and work with as we go about helping you build brands people care about. Season four is based on our exploration of Web3, NFTs, and all things Metaverse. We're seeing an explosion of creativity and brands popping up all over this new space. Yet the rules seem to be different and experimentation is not only expected, but welcome. Follow our conversations with the designers, the builders and the visionaries shaping Web3 and the Metaverse. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I'm talking to Jeff Staple. Jeff is a creative visionary whose work encompasses graphic, fashion, and footwear design, as well as branding. He's the founder of the Reed Art Department, where he's worked on countless creative projects for clients ranging from startup brands to Fortune 100 companies. 2022 is the 25th anniversary since Jeff founded Staple in 1997, a New York-based streetwear brand with a now infamous Pigeon logo and later experiential lifestyle boutique, Reed Space. If that's not enough, he was the host of the coin-based podcast, Due Process, the spiritual heir to the Business of Hype podcast on Hype Beast. He shares professional advice as one of the top teachers on Skillshare, and he's the pioneer in the Web3 space as the founder of Stapleverse, a new digital world based on everything he's learned in the past quarter century as a cultural leader. We chat about his thoughts on how building brands in the metaverse is the same and completely different at the same time. We talk about the origins of the Stapleverse and the thinking behind the Pigeon Collections. He also talks about how people can self-organize and own their own piece of a project. Enjoy. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've been following your work for many, many years. It's great to to be able to have a conversation with you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for following the weird and wonderful things that I try to put out into the world. <laughs> well, I think let's, let's, let's jump all the way back. You know, the Pigeon Dunks came out in the mid 2000s. Um, and, and I think it's still probably one of the most, uh, at least for me, one of the most iconic collabs of all time because it was so unusual and so different and so unlike anything that you know anyone was doing at, at the time um and my question to you is you know what do you think has changed in the way people build brands if anything since then and how does it influence the the work that you're doing today because I, I think having seen a lot of it i can see a thread almost of where your mind has taken you, but do you think it's it's still the same or do you think it's evolved a lot um, since, since the mid 2000s? Uh, I think at the core, 
if done correctly, is still the same. You know, I think a brand should be um, a unique, individualized perspective or opinion from its creator, uh, and the creators should. Uh, and and I caveat this by saying I'm pretty old school, but I think the creators should take a lot of craft and care in what they put out into the world. Mm. And I think all creators should realize that they hold like a power in their hands and with that power comes responsibility. So whenever a creative puts something out into the world, whether it's a painting or a song or a sculpture or a photo, they have to realize that like they're metaphorically on a stage in front of a mic speaking to thousands of people. And so mm. with that mic in front of your face, what are you going to say? Right? So once a photographer puts a photo out or when a, or when a sculptor puts out a sculpture or when a t-shirt designer puts out a t-shirt, they're about to say something to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people. And because of social media, at minimum, dozens, if not hundreds of people. So imagine you're standing in front mm. of a room of like 99 people, right? What are you going to say to them? Like, it's important what you say. And so I still feel like that is at the baseline still the same as it ever was, whether you're talking about like, you know, Christian Dior or Ralph Lauren or Tommy Hilfiger or Jeff Staple or Virgil Abloh, like that is the consistent thread. I think the difference from the early 2000s when the Pigeon Dunk came out till now is the biggest differences are two. It's quantity and speed. Right. So mm. when I started, there was no there was no street culture like it mm. wasn't even a, a definition yet. You know, they you had urban hip hop, you had punk rock, you had skate, you had surf as like these sort of cultures islands. that were floating around. Yeah. Islands. But yeah. nobody was like going around the islands yet, you know. Um, and actually, I want to add, you know, sports, athletics and sneakers was also an island. But at, in the in this era, the sneaker island was just a sporting good thing. It wasn't yet like this cross-cultural phenomenon that we see today. So, um, you know, again, there was no streetwear brands. There was almost no competitors. You can, I mean, literally when I started Staple in 1997, there was probably like 20 brands in the same field, you know? Um, so obviously now there's over... 20,000 brands. I don't know. You know, there's so many. Yeah. Um, yes. so, and what, and, and frankly, what is a brand, you know, like a, like a kid with an Instagram account that has a hundred thousand followers and a blue check and a t-shirt is a brand nowadays, you know, mm. but it's not like a clothing brand, but it is a brand. So, so quantity and then speed, right? Like the, the amount of information that we're getting and the speed of it is so much more faster and instantaneous now so those two things added together have put the culture on this sort of like light speed rocket trajectory. Um, but with that being said, if there are 20,000 brands out there today, how many of those brands will be in existence 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? I still think it's the same number as 50 <laughs> years ago. Yes. Because of, because of the lack of that foundational spirit that I think existed back in the day. That's very interesting. So, so you you say that 
a brand is is this you know kind of expression, this unique expression of the creator. How do you think about that when when you know someone Jeff Staple is now working with Nike and Nike has its own voice and its own base and its own thing to say? Now you kind of stepping into their world, you know, and pulling them into a different space. But then I guess how do you balance their perspective and their their way because i think you are, are almost the collab king you've done pieces with so many different massive brands and even small brands and and niche products that people have never even seen but you seem to, yeah. to always you you always work well with with the other brands you know but yet still maintain your own identity you. or your own sort of voice in amongst that thank you yeah, I mean, that's what you just said is basically the definition of a collaboration, right? Like, why do it? Why why step into the room with another creator and cross-pollinate ideas? You do that because you're hoping that one plus one equals five, mm. right? So, like, if, I always like to analogize things in, in, the, in the food and cooking world because I just have the utmost respect for them. But, like, if you're really great at making Chinese food and your friend is really great at making tacos right it might be interesting if you guys went into the kitchen and created what does a chinese taco look like right mm. and the thought is that maybe a chinese taco is like this amazing thing that is even bigger than both things individually right mm. um and usually that comes about because you know one side of the party is either missing a skill set or an ability to do something or has trouble tapping into a particular audience. And the other side of the table is the same thing. They're missing also the ability to do something or talk to a specific audience. And a good collaboration is when you get this yin-yang effect of like what I'm bad at, you're really good at. What you're good at, I'm really bad at. And the audience that I can't speak to, you are speaking to every day. And the audience that you can't speak to, I speak to every day. And when you link it together, it's like magic, you know? And I think that's where, that's why Nike excels so well at, at collaborations. And, you know, particularly when we did the pigeon dunk, because obviously we all know Nike is the best at making shoes and, and equipment and, you know, sneakers and comfort and technology and innovation. You know, um, I think because of Nike's size, what they have trouble, you know, with is talking authentically to the corner of Orchard and Rivington Street in the Lower East Side of New York City. Mm. Like that kid on hanging out at the bodega eating a slice of pizza, Nike that is worth $50 billion in Beaverton might have trouble talking directly to that kid in an authentic manner. And, and honestly, no amount of advertising or billboarding or multi-million dollar campaigns makes it easier to talk to that kid. In fact, that makes it harder to talk to that kid, you know? Um, and, and we talk to that kid on a daily basis. Now we couldn't produce or manufacture a shoe to save our lives, but we do know <laughs> the culture of sneakers, right? Yes. So this is like a great marriage if you, if you play it right. And I think we've been able to do that with Nike, but also we've been able to do that with all these other brands. And sometimes, as you mentioned, we're the small guy in the room and sometimes we're the big guy and we walk, we work with like an independent painter or illustrator or something like that, you know? So I, I deliberately do that to be honest. Like I look at our, 
our special projects and our collaboration. And I, I make sure that we're not just like fucking with only Fortune 100 publicly mm. traded companies one after another. I want to, I want, I for myself actually want to get my hands dirty and out of the boardrooms and back into like an artist studio and a paint bucket and a, and a dark room, you know, just to like feel that energy again. Playing with a silk screen, getting your hands dirty. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm interested. You know, the pigeons almost, you know, been with you throughout so many of these things. What, what made you kind of carry the pigeon into the metaverse? Like, why was that your, you know, one of the ideas that you you started playing with? Yeah, I mean, why not? Right, the pigeon has become um, our logo and our mascot. You know, I'd like to think the pigeon is is uh, my polo horse for Ralph Lauren, you know, and, and it really represents the culture much better than, um, like, a Lacoste crocodile or like a, a polo horse, you know, because a pigeon, if you live in any sort of like urban metropolitan area, a pigeon probably infests that metropolitan area. And the residents of that city tend to usually have like a very love hate relationship with the pigeon. Mm. And I think the pigeon really just represents the struggle to survive and a need to hustle in order to like get to where they want to be in life, you know? And it, when, when you're taking your tram, your subway, your bus, or, or your, you know, you're on a bike on your way to work, these pigeons are sort of like your spirit animal. You see them everywhere they don't really get out of your way. They shit on you, you know, <laughs> winter, spring, summer, fall, they're out there. Um, and I just love that, that nonstop hustle mentality. Uh, and when we adopted it back in the early two thousands, uh, and premiered it on the pigeon dunk, what better way to launch a logo? Um, you know, we've carried that throughout. So when you ask about the metaverse and, and web three, to me, the metaverse and web three is just, is just another, um, chapter in the storytelling of staple, you know, mm. um, if it started out as print campaigns and print lookbooks and print catalogs to then blog spot pages, to then Facebook pages, to then Twitter, to then Instagram, to then Snapchat, to then medium posts, you know, th this is just a new form of communication in a new world. That's super exciting. And you're just going to keep rolling as the as the platforms evolve and change. You're going to evolve and change with them. I I hope so. I don't do it strategically or deliberately. For instance, like I never got on Snapchat, you know. Um, so I do. I am selective about where we go, and I want to make sure it makes sense for the brand. Like as as um, old fashioned and and as grandpa as this will sound. Like we are currently today uh, in September 2022, deliberating if we should have a TikTok strategy. Mm. That sounds old as fuck, I know, because <laughs> everyone's on TikTok, but I, I want it to be right. I don't want to yes. just do it because everyone else is doing it and you're supposed to do it. I want to have a voice. I think I'm a storyteller and I want to be able to tell a good story using that tool. And if I can't figure out how to do it i won't do it because mm. i just you know i won't participate i mean i love what you said there because you know so many people ask us like should we should we do an nft should we be in the metaverse should we be doing this stuff and and what you just said is if i can't tell a good story using this tool 
I'm not going to do it. And, you know, we always try and tell people that NFTs are just tools. The metaverse is just a tool, exactly like you say. It's just a technology which has infinite potential, but ultimately the the content that you put into it and the ideas that you put into it are infinitely more valuable than the technological output itself. Yeah, yeah. So can you tell me, you know, let's jump into the Stapleverse. Can you tell me the the origin story? I think you started talking about it, you know, with the, the pigeon, about the feed, the hood, and the poop. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can you tell me why you split them? Like, what was the thinking behind that project? Um, I don't know. I, w- I would say, like, I got really excited about the fact that I can kind of write my own cinematic universe here, like Marvel did you know, mm-hmm. and like create characters and factions and, you know, different tribes within this new Stapleverse world. And I've, I'm fully cognizant that everybody wants the pigeon and, and they think about the pigeon as staple and they expect that like, if Jeff's going to come out with an NFT project, it's going to be 10,000 pigeon PFPs. That's what mm-hmm. It probably should be, you know, and I deliberately zigged when everyone thought I was going to zag Um, Because I wanted to tell something deeper and a little bit more innovative. And I wanted to also push the boundaries of like, you know, my product team, my dev team, you know, I just wanted to like have fun with this because if I'm going to crank out something, I might as well just crank out t-shirts or sneakers, to be honest, like, Mm. let's use this platform that has, as you said, limitless possibilities, and let's actually flex on that, you know. Um, So the idea was, if you want to catch a pigeon, which everyone sort of metaphorically does when it comes to staple, they want to get a pigeon. Um, you have to feed a pigeon. You have to lure it with some food. So the initial thing that we released was the was feed, and it was twenty items uh, that you might find a funny city pigeon uh, trying to eat. You know, and that's whether it's like nuts or you know like a hot dog bun or something like that or a pizza slice, all the way to weirder things like a dumpling or a kebab or like a syringe or, Mm. you know, a used condom, like kind of funny things that like you might find in a gross city, you know? Um, So we released those 10,000 feeds uh, and they sold out right away. And then after a little bit of time, we, we gamified it a little bit where we let the community decide whether they want to now keep their feed or as you know, if you want to try to catch a pigeon, you have to toss your feet out, right? So we had this burning mechanism where you can toss your feet, aka burn your feet, and in return, you might get a pigeon. But as in real life, you might not get a pigeon. You actually might just get a pigeon shitting on your head. So you might just get poop out of that, right? So when you you can keep your feet or you can toss your feet. And when you toss, you randomly either get a pigeon or you get a poop NFT. So now there's three factions. Um, and much of the storyline that came about came organically from the community. For instance, the people who got poop, which technically speaking, I guess is kind of like the losing NFT. Like, you know, you want a pigeon, you got pooped on, right? But the mm-hmm. poop gang really coalesced into almost like a mafia. Like mm-hmm. they were proud of being poop, you know? And so we started to treat the poop almost like a mini DAO of its own. Um, and they act as like a mafia would like they act as like a collective group 
Whereas the pigeons are sort of like, they're happy they got a pigeon. They're all sort of like every man for himself kind of thing. I got a pigeon. I'm happy. Don't talk to me. Update profile picture. I'm happy now. Exactly. But the poop really came together. So we did some really fun things with poop. And then feed holders were really proud that they kept feed as well. So you had this like sort of faction going. And um, everything that I just mentioned, what internally and a little bit externally, but we call that phase one and phase two. So phase one was feed. Phase two was the tossing and then the, the pigeon and the poop and the feed. And now we, uh, at the end of this year, we're about to embark on phase three of the project. Um, and we just want Stapleverse to constantly evolve into these different phases. Um, and right now, by the way, we're all centered around sort of like Gotham City, New York City as like the the, the setting. Um, mm. But we also foresee in the future you know, I have my roots and my brand in, in all different places in the world, right? So like Tokyo, China, like Berlin, all of these cities like mean something to me. So we could actually move to different cities as well. And because this is the metaverse and you're only limited by your imagination, we could have actually move to different planets if we wanted to or different galaxies, you know? So mm. what does a pigeon look like on Jupiter? You know what I mean? We could actually like think of these things in our mind, which is awesome. It's super red. I mean, yeah. I think you've explained to me now why the the poop um, kind of floor price is always consistently higher than the other two kind of pieces of the the collection. Yeah, I don't know why, and I I don't also check very often. But it's like, the mafia. The mafia keeps the prices high because that's where the <laughs> profits are. You know, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, there was a there was a storyline where we we skewed off, and like there was a moment where the poop gang actually kidnapped 500 pigeons. <laughs> so there's actually a Gnosis safe that the poop gang has control of. And in that Gnosis safe wallet ID is 500 pigeon NFTs. So <laughs> the value of those pigeons is also now part of the value of the poop gang, which is pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I love that. And they're, and they're you... deciding, you know, they're deciding what to do with that now. Like, are they going to, split it up and give it out evenly are they gonna like just keep holding on to it like i i don't know what they're gonna do with it yet <laughs> that's super red yeah um, it's, you, it's awesome you'll also be glad to know so so my wife is um a very she's very cynical of this whole world and mm-hmm. the the feed nft with the the cigarette butt that was stamped out it was on my screen when i was doing research um for, for this episode and she was like i want that nft buy it for me so nice. my, my wife now owns one nft and it's uh, your feed nft because it's the only one she's ever seen is she moment. is she a smoker or an ex-smoker is that why she's a smoker so i think she's got a, a like a, a deep sort of resonance with it but she also that's loves awesome. the the aesthetic she was like that's actually beautiful and not not ugly like a lot of the art in the space nice thank you yeah that i mean we that decision that we made to make the art look like that was also a deliberate but risky decision you know as you as you stated our nfts don't look like other nft projects they look old they mm. they look like lithographs almost or silk screens mm. or stencil art you know and we did that on purpose working with um this amazing artist friend of mine named b tom stevenson and he's old school like he does things on a xerox machine and and thermal fax paper and stuff um and we did that on purpose to sort of show that staple has been here since day one and so we wanted to bring that history into the nft space 
I love it. I think there's also, you know, I can feel that intention through many of the things that you do, not just in the, the kind of metaverse work. So I can definitely see that coming through. Let's talk about let's talk about the book that I've ordered, um, but because I live on the tip of Africa, probably am never going to receive. Um, <laughs> so, so, so not just sneakers. So I'm I'm super interested. Why, you know, the, the the content of the book makes perfect sense to me. But why did you go the route of pairing it with an NFT? Like, what what what, what was in that decision to sort of detract from the the book itself with another another whole thing? Um, this is you're you're about to enter the wacky world of the way Jeff's brain works. Okay. Uh, I mean, here here I am for the last year, year and a half, and my days are split between developing and kickstarting off this NFT project, heavily immersed in Web three, and on the other hand, the other part of my day is talking to this traditional Italian bookmaker that's been around for decades, talking about bookbinding. Like mm. I'm literally talking about coding and bookbinding, you know, and my head is just like, wow, it's just so split, you know. And then, uh, and I've, I've always been trying to reconcile that. And then we did, um, we signed up. I mean, Coinbase, uh, you know, they launched their NFT project, and they um, they elected us as one of the premier kickoff projects to to drop on Coinbase NFT. And so when they were like, you know, we want you to drop something kind of exclusive for us since you already have Stapleverse out there, can you think of something? And then this sort of like duality of print and NFTs was swirling in my head. I thought Coinbase would be a great place to sort of combine those two worlds and drop an NFT of the book on Coinbase NFT. So that was the, mm. that was how it happened. But it wasn't anything strategic or like on a on a PowerPoint presentation a year ago. It was literally like this converging, and then I was like, wait a second, I see something here. Let me jump on that, and and so we did that, and it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and yeah, the book comes out. Um, thank you for pre-ordering. The book comes out in early November. Uh, we just saw press copies of it, and it's it's freaking amazing. I can't wait for you to see it. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Why why 25 NFTs? Why only 25? Uh, this is the 25th anniversary of Staples, so we did one for every year of my brand's existence. Oh, cool. Do you own any yeah. of them, or did they all did they all get sold to other people? I don't own a single one. Oh, it's crazy. And I, that's my, that's the other sort of masochistic weird thing about the way my brain works. Like people ask me about the OG pigeon dunk. I only mm. own one. I don't have like a whole stash of them, you know? And so for this, like for the, um, the Stapleverse NFTs, I didn't prior to drop date, take any, I bought all of mine on OpenSea that I have mm. in my wallet. And so with this Coinbase Rizzoli book NFT, I don't own a single one. I, I want I want the shit that I make to be out in the world for the people that I make them for. I don't want to hoard them. And I mm. also have this weird superstitious Chinese Buddhist thing in me where I feel like if I value something that I create too much, it'll be the last thing that I create. So it's this like superstitious thing where I, I, if I create it, I just want it out so that I can make more dope stuff in the future. But I always have this thing like where if I kept 20 pairs of pigeon dunks that would have been the last sneaker I ever designed, you know? So I just wanted to like, it's, it's like have a it cycle. It's like, yeah, just put it out into the world. And if it, if it means something and if it's meant to be, it'll come back like a boomerang, you know? 
Well, I'm sure sure that kid on the corner that you were talking to that Nike couldn't talk to probably has 25 mint pairs like stashed in a cupboard somewhere ready to, to break them out on the secondary market <laughs> and retire I've met a, young I've met one a couple day. of those kids. I, there's a, I've met two kids that have like more than five pairs in their collection and it's a special thing to see. It, it, I, went to a, I went to a sneaker con in Shanghai a couple of years back, 2019, right before COVID. And uh, one kid who had like seven pairs of pigeon dunks came out and he set up a display of his collection. And this kid, it was so like, it, it really touched me to see because this kid was a celebrity because he owned seven pairs of pigeon dunks. <laughs> and there was a line to see this kid's collection. And I'm there looking and I shit you not, there were more people waiting in line to see the seven pigeon dunks than to see me. <laughs> but that is a beautiful fucking thing to me that yeah. like I've created something that made this kid a celebrity because he owns the thing I created. That's beauty. That's beauty right there. I love that. I love yeah. that. And I, I, I guess, you know, he, he, he even now has the story that his, his sneaker connection is actually more, more popular than the creator. Uh, of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm interested. You've got, you know, in the kind of in the the empire that is Jeff Staple, there's many different brands. There's the Stapleverse, there's the Pigeon, there's all of these pieces. How do you, in your head, how do you order all of these things? How do you manage the different <laughs> sub brands, or is it just like the things that you create? Like, how do you go about? It's a, know, it's quite structured internally, so it's not. It's not haphazard because I don't think one person could actually accommodate all of these things in their brain in an organized mm. manner. So I have incredible GMs, operators, and and team colleagues that help in each division. But in my head, it's quite organized. There's the clothing line staple, which actually is the owner of the pigeon. There mm. is the creative agency read art department, aka RAD. And these are two separate teams two separate offices, two separate functions, right? And then there's Stapleverse, which is dealing in everything within the digital asset NFT community. Uh, and the reason why Stapleverse had to be separate, unfortunately, um, is because of the expertise needed for Web3 and NFTs, right? You can't really take a guy who makes button-down shirts all day and then say, now you're going to work on NFTs. Like it's... Mm it's too far of a stretch in terms of expertise. Um, and then, you know, so unfortunately now I've got these three companies. Uh, I actually have more, but I can't talk about the other one, but these are the, these are the three that are sort of like in the main crux of it. And then there's, there's honestly, there's a, there's a sort of phantom fourth one, which is like the business of being Jeff. Right. So it's like, you know, podcasts, talks, lectures, um, you know, going hiking with the founder of Hoka, you know what I mean? Like there's like, Jeff as well. Um, and I just try to balance it all. And, um, you know, I, I do, I do always sort of temperature check myself to make sure that I'm still having fun at the end of the day. Um, that's the most important KPI for those who don't know, like, you know, uh, mm. a KPI is how companies like sort of measure success, right? Like a key point indicator. So like my KPI is happiness. If I, if I wake up day after day and I'm, I'm hating life and I'm feeling stressed, uh, it's time to change something. Um, but as long as I'm still happy doing stuff, uh, I keep going. And that's not to say that like, there aren't stressful days. There are, stre I'm, I'm in a pretty stressful stretch right now, but 
I'm talking about if it goes on for like three months where I'm just like hating life, then it's time to mm. really make a change. But I do understand that there will be stressful moments when you have a, a sort of, as you say, an empire like this, a mini empire. Mini empire. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of the people who said that part of the empire crumbled. I still miss the, the business of hype. Um, so, yeah. So I'm hoping that that kicks off again, but it seems like you have many other things on the go. Dude, that's a great example of like, that's a great example of, I wanted to do something fun. I wanted to have conversations with my peers that felt unfiltered and it made the audience feel like they were a fly on the wall, listening in on two friends talking, right? We tried three episodes of The Business of Hype. Hiroshi Fujiwara, Sarah Endelman from Colette, and Aaron Levant, who's the founder of Network and Complex Con. Mm. After th those three episodes, we put them up on Hypebeast. Uh, Hypebeast was really nice about allowing me to do that. Um, Kevin Ma, who's the founder of Hypebeast, said, okay, you can't stop now. This is too fucking good. <laughs> and from there, we went on and did over 100 episodes. And this fun hobby that I just wanted to try literally became a cultural phenomenon because at a certain point, everyone that I met on the street, every fan that came up to me, it used to be, I love your clothing line. I love your sneaker drops. For a moment, it was, I love the podcast. It was just like everyone was on the podcast. Um, and then COVID hit and we took a break. Um, and then I just decided to pause it because I tried to do, you know, no offense to you because we're doing this podcast via Zoom right now or like, mm. you know, a digital one. But all of the business of hypes were done in person. And I really missed that. Um, and so we took two, three years off because of COVID. Um, and now that, you know, there is the ability to travel and kickstart it up. Now the, the podcast world has changed. And I, mm. I've, I just recently talked about this with Hypebeast just a couple of weeks ago about should we do it again? If we did it again, would we do it the same or should we evolve it a bit? And I think we all agreed that we should evolve it a bit. So now we're at the point of like, how does business of hype evolve? Um, but that's a perfect example of like any, any man with, you know, two brain cells in their brain would say, keep fucking doing the business of hype. It's amazing. And the whole world wants it. Why wouldn't you keep doing it? But I really listened to my gut and I'm like, no, I, it, it could be better. Something mm. can evolve and it could be tweaked a little bit. Um, so we're, we're in that mode right now. Um, and I'm really happy that, you know, people like yourself and uh, are clamoring for it. And I'm also really happy that they probably trust that when it comes back, it's going to come back like a hundred times better than it was before. I think it's also, uh, I mean, a little bit like the matrix that potentially, you know, when something works and it's time is done, you, you, you let it, let it lie because people can always remember it fondly. Um, I, I think sometimes things carry on too long, but, you know, I guess in this world, <laughs> people, I think, think because like you say, just because it's successful doesn't mean it necessarily has to continue forever. It can, it the, can be for a time. The matrix analogy is dead on perfect because that last matrix probably shouldn't have been made no no it 100 percent <laughs> shouldn't have been made <laughs> yeah, there's even yeah. a, there's even a strong argument that the second two shouldn't have been made just the first like if it was just the first one it would have been this like perfect perfect storm yes. of a movie that people would have talked about forever god that last one was just man yeah. 
That's, that's a I creator's think, nightmare. That's a, I, <laughs> you know, that's a creator's nightmare to have that last matrix come out when like you've, you've run out of so much gas that you're, you're addressing yourself in the, in like the meta, you know what I mean? Like, oh my God, that'd be like if I did, a, that'd be like if I brought back business of hype as a podcast about the business of hype. (laughs) (laughs) Interviewing the people that did the editing and talking about behind the scenes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, Now, you know, I think what's interesting is, is most of your, your work seems to land positively. um, But moving into the metaverse, there's, there's definitely a, a chunk of the internet that's not a huge fan of the metaverse or NFTs in any way. Like, have you thought about the the negative feedback that you've fielded as a result of playing in this um, space? Um, there. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know which negative feedback you're referring to. So I'm going to refer to maybe both <laughs> that you might be referring to. There's the negative feedback of the people who are saying, why are you even doing NFTs? Yes. And then there's the negative feedback of the actual NFT community, <laughs> right? That are, that are in NFTs. Mm. So to be honest, the, the community that said you're wasting time, energy, this is a Ponzi scheme, you're destroying the earth, like that whole faction of NFTs, that was actually quite minimal for me, to be honest. Like, you know, I would I would give you a ratio like when I announced Stapleverse, and if there was a hundred comments, like three were like talking about that. So it wasn't mm. that loud for me. Um, so, but frankly, I'm in the fashion and footwear space. So if you want to talk about environmental damage, <laughs> like I'm yeah. already going to hell two times. So like. Yeah. You know, this is about it. I mean, like, I, I, I definitely align with the idea that, like, if you really want to save the earth, stop everything. Like, just stop Uniqlo, stop Zara, stop Instagram. Like, just stop making shit. You know, then mm. you'll save the earth. Um, and and you know, servers uh, powering NFTs and the blockchain is not the thing that's going to crumble our planet. You know, that's that's my unscientific way of explaining that mm-hmm. um i do think it's all a, i do think that the the ponzi scheme argument i think that yes people are going to be out there trying to scam people just like they did when the web first was born just like they did when online banking first started happening people are going to try to scam you but the amount of good that it has done for the creative culture and independent creators particularly are incredible i mean you look at like uh, you look at people pleaser and ferocious. Those two people would not exist in mm. the traditional web one, web two world, like yeah. where they are. You know what I mean? It, it took web three for those people to exist. And these are our future Basquiat and Warhols. And they're know? doing the most amazing work that is is inspired and crazy and weird and exciting all at the same time. Yes. Yes. How are you gonna how are you gonna denounce that? How are you gonna denounce like I met Ferocious. I interviewed him, uh, and like, he was homeless at one point. He like ran away from his family in Las Vegas. Like, you know, he was not understood by anybody, and now he's this globally renowned artist that is championing like LGBTQ queer community at the same time. Like, you know, he's fucking amazing. So, mm. um, 
yeah, you you can't denounce that. And then and then I don't know if you meant the the uh, the criticisms within the NFT community, but you know, one thing that if you want to if you want to embrace Web three and have community first then sometimes the community is going to react and say things that aren't in alignment with you. And, you know, you have to deal with that. Um, but I take it, uh, I take it in stride. And I know that this is part of the learning process. It's much faster. It's much more immediate. You know, when I release a clothing line or a shoe, it's something that I designed 12, 18 months prior. It comes out. They may not like it. They may write a comment in the blog post or whatever, or in Instagram. And then, you know, you decide if you want to buy the next one. It's very extended and long and non-effective, you know, like their criticism cannot affect the way that shoe looks now, you know, mm. but in the NFT world, it's very immediate. So we can react to what they're saying and what they're thinking and, and switch on a dime if we need to, which is exciting and infuriating. <laughs> <laughs> is this i mean is this the biggest change for you i mean you started in a store you know where you had human beings walking physically into a space and having interactions with them you know now a few decades later it's it's now like you say there's this audience that's online getting real-time feedback you've got mafias forming around poop you know there's all these other kind of dynamics like how do you how do you see the role with the brand and the audience sort of playing out in a, a new way? Or do you think it's always the same thing and just happening at a faster pace? I, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but this is a, a great way to loop it back to the first question you asked me, which is what's changed, right? And I, I think, I truly believe that at the base of it, we're still the same. And the reason why I say that is because when we did NFT NYC and we held a whole bunch of meet and greets and talks and everything. And we actually met the community in person, even though we were on discord with each other 24 seven, when we met in person, it was different. It was mm. dope. Like, and the energy, I still believe like the cellular energy transfer of human beings together cannot be replaced on a discord feed, you know? And so if you treat people still as human beings at the end of the day that you want to shake hands with and break bread with and have a meal with like that is at the core of it the speed and the quantity of which you put stuff out is much faster but i'm always about like what are we doing for these people and what are we doing for them if and when the day that i get to meet them and shake their hand that i can look them in the face and say like i did best by you i looked mm. out for what you wanted that's really like my number one goal because I, I will meet these people. Like I will shake their head one day and I don't want to be like, Oh shit. I don't want to look at that guy. I don't want to meet that guy. Cause <laughs> I sold him some bullshit. You know, like yeah. I want to be like, yo, I hope you enjoyed everything that we've been providing you, man. You know? I, I, I love, I love that. So it's all different and it's all exactly the same at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the, you know, people, people forget about how simple this is. You know, there's all this technology and speed and like advancements and cool shit that we can do. I get it. But at the end of the day, can you shake that person's hand and look them in the eye and be like, did I do good by you? And did you support? Like, thank you. Like, that's really it. That's that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day, you know? That's all right. I mean, Jeff, uh, thank you for your time. I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, what is the thing that's 
sort of inspiring you and driving you either kind of something broken that you want to fix or something, an idea that you're trying to get out of your head that's sort of propelling you forward at the moment? <laughs> Yo, I can't even, you should see the notes app on my phone. It's just like <laughs> hundreds of like ideas that I want to do and get out. And, and like my wife is constantly telling me to like, stop, stop with the ideas. You've got enough things in the universe right now. Um, so there's, there's a million things, but I mean, at the end of the day, I think right now, my, I don't know. I think my main thing right now, if I had to prioritize it is like sharing the knowledge and trying to just empower people to be able to do what I did in a much faster and quicker amount of time without as many mistakes. You know, because here's the thing. This is my 25th year as a brand. I recognize that most of my fan base is younger than my brand. <laughs> right? <laughs> like like I was printing shirts 25 years ago by hand and now there's a kid who's 18 who's buying my shirts. Like mm. that doesn't really make sense, you know, in my head. So I could either position myself as like, you know, you know, when you go to a cool nightclub and like there's that guy who's like too old to be at the nightclub and he's trying to like <laughs> hang out with all the young kids. Like I could be that I could be in the club, be like, yo, kids, what's going on? You know, or <laughs> I don't want to be that. So or I could be like, listen, I'm 25 years in. I'm 47 years old. I can be like an Obi-Wan Kenobi maybe to you guys, but I'm not going to party with you in the club, you know? So let mm. me share what I've learned and give you the playbook so that maybe you can do it in like half the amount of time. And so it's cool that we're actually releasing a playbook because the book, as you'll soon see, is not just glossy pictures of here's all the cool shit that I did. It's actually like the recipe. It's actually like, the sketchbooks, the journals, the trials and tribulations of how we got to each thing. There are still, don't, don't get me wrong, there are beautiful pictures of products in there because I want to show the carrot, but I want to show and how the carrot And that's what people want. Grown. Yeah, that's <laughs> what people want. But I also wanted to show how the carrot was grown and made, you know? Mm. And so the book is that. I think Stapleverse, the, the phase three of Stapleverse has a lot of this thinking in it. I, I don't want to give away too much alpha right now, but there is a lot of the same thought process in. And I think that's the way that I can I can continue um, contributing in this culture into the next half of my life. You know, um, not showing how cool or fresh I am, but more so like showing the way and the path that I went, you know. Well, Jeff, I mean, that's very inspirational and I look forward to, you know, I hedged my bets. I have a feed, a pigeon and a poop. So, you know, like no matter which one wins, uh, I get to to stand atop it. So thank you very much for, for your time. Thank you for thank you the too. work you've done. This was a done. great interview. Yeah. Thank you for the, the things you've created that um, have inspired me throughout my career. So thank you very much. And it was an honor speaking to you. Thank you. Have a good one. And we'll catch you all in the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this with them. 
This is our fourth season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first to know when a new episode is released. Even better, leave a review and tell the world how much you enjoyed listening. One more question is brought to you by the people of Nicework. We're on a mission to build purposeful Web3 brands that people care about. We're based in South Africa and serve the leaders of brave companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, work with us or make a suggestion, please reach out at www.nicework.co.za. Bye-bye.